Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and all that's in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, well, you come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we are here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And this time around, we go all into on-chain reputation, all about you know going beyond the world of just financial transactions and into the world of you know just culture and social things. And we go go into that with uh, David Phelps. Uh, this time around, it's just me. This is a DeFi Dave solo <laughs> performance. Kit was taking a little nappy nap, an extended nappy <laughs> nap. So my bad, y'all. If, if you're a Kit fan, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to deal with me. Um, but honestly, like David Phelps is one of my favorite Twitter accounts. I think he has like a lot of great insights in a lot of, in a lot of areas from incentive design to just like how do we get act- people to actually be using crypto. And, and he's built like a phenomenal product with Joke Race. We're using Joke Race for one of our contests, but it's just, you know, so it's all on chain, like creating contests on chain. Um, and I think web three like the main crux of this episode is like web three really unlocks things that you just couldn't do in web two um, because web two everything's closed systems while web three is everything's open system so in the same way you have money legos you can have these social legos with all these like fun on-chain games so this is what we get into kent um so you're gonna just have to you're just gonna have to be the listener here you're gonna have to let daddy DeFi dave take the driver's seat <laughs> so but before we get into it make sure you go ahead like and uh like subscribe hit that bell button on youtube leave us a comment let us know what you think uh follow us on all our socials at flywheel DeFi on twitter tiktok and telegram farcaster at flywheel make sure you go to our website uh flywheeldefi.com go ahead subscribe uh for all the latest alpha and updates on frax and DeFi. you'll thank yourself later you can follow me on twitter at DeFi dave you can follow me at zero x capital underscore k and let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, doing this one solo dolo. This time, here good with- luck. Good luck. Yeah, you got yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is a lot. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by Dave Dow. This is a Dave Dow special I have on David Phelps, <laughs> right, <laughs> founder right. of Joker Race, uh, ship poster, and comment and uh, thoughtful societal and crypto commentator on X Twitter, whatever you call it. Uh, yeah, David, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Um, and yeah, uh, to, just to show uh, Dave Dow, I think it's really important to drive home our values and what we stand for, which are that we are not Ben Dow. We are um, not Ben Dow. Yeah, this is important. And yeah. So if you too are not Ben Dow, I highly encourage you to change your name to Dave or David and, and join mm-hmm. Dave Dow. It's really the morally correct thing to do. And, and you'll probably be looked out <laughs> upon if you don't. 
Yeah, and you'll probably be looked up to if you join Dave Dow. And for, for all sure. the Daves out there, Daves, David, <laughs> even if you have an interesting spelling and it's close, we want you to join Dave Dow. So go ahead, hit hit me up, hit David Hup, um, and we can get you right in the Dave Dow group. I feel like we need a referral network. Like for people who refer David should also yeah. be able to get in, you know, that, like some, yeah. some yeah, referral incentive. Proof I, I, of Dave. Tokenomics, tokenomics leave a little bit to be desired with Dave Dow, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. Do you know the story behind how Dave Dow formed? I think it was just everyone fucking hated Ben.eth. <laughs> <That's the laughs> no, story. no. It was, it was before that. Um, so I remember it must have been NFC NYC, November 2021. I was with, I think, David Hoffman. I was with David Hoffman yeah. during the week, and he wanted to call it David Dow. I'm like, no, we got to call it Dave Dow. I'm like, Dave Dow yeah. rolls off the tongue better, didn't you know? It was at yeah, like yeah. the bankless party that was on like the end of it. I was like, yo, we got called Dave Dow. And we started on Discord. Eventually, the group moved over to Telegram. And, you know, we've been recruiting members strong ever since. Dave Dow strong. I, yeah, I am. Uh, it, it really aligns with my personal values, actually. I would yeah. say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, political, my political ideology is, is very well embodied by the spirit of Dave Dow, which is to pump my own name. So, yeah, yeah, yeah all in favor. <laughs> One all nation. Favor. Under Dave, or one Dave. chain, or should I one say, chain, when, yeah. when, when Dave roll up? When Dave chain. Yeah. When Dave where, chain. When Dave chain. David Hoffman, yeah. if you believe in the roll up pieces so much, where's our fucking Dave chain? Yeah. And, and you know what? Every Dave can have their own coin. Okay. We're getting ahead. Yeah, okay, getting ahead. Okay, okay. 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 Serious. Serious. Yeah. Okay. Let's get, okay. So, uh, David, let's, you know, get into the interview. Um, what's your background and how'd you get into crypto? Yeah, so I try to give a different answer to this every time uh, that someone asks. So I'll, I'll talk today. Um, is it, uh, so I'm, uh, Joe, Joe Grace is my third company. I had two companies before this. I'll spare everyone the boring details about those. Um, but um, during the pandemic, uh, of course, we had all this extra time. And I joined the generalist, Mario Gabrielli's like, great um, community for people thinking about business. And they were doing an econ reading group. And so I joined this econ reading group. And I've been into crypto and investing in crypto for like, you know, three or four years at that point. Um, but I wasn't working in the space. I didn't know anybody in the space. And the econ group was not a crypto econ group at all. Um, it was it was just, you know, to, to discuss general macro econ trends. And they're reading Ray Dalio. And I'm in there with Annika Lewis, who's currently at Eco. Um, and in... Anik and I are, you know, reading this and we're thinking, okay, Dalio has this like really compelling point that the dollar, you know, is in decline. Um, that is a 300 year cycle overall, but like the decline cycle takes about 80 years to play out normally. We can see this playing out. It's following the same trends as it was before. And, and so then the question is, you know, if the dollar is in decline, what's going to take its place? And the common answer, I think, during the pandemic was China. It was like very clear China is this global superpower that is going to be the next dominant, you know, empire that is, um, you know, in some ways, Chinese yuan is going to be like the future, right? And Anna and I both kind of had this, I think, simultaneous thought. And we were like, well, what, what if it's not China? What if it's the internet? Like, what if the internet is the next big giant empire with its own reserve currency that is actually going to disrupt the dollar? And we're like, well, if that's true, then it's crypto. Like, crypto is the is the reserve currency of the internet, right? Of this empire. And I think it's like uh, my belief in that is definitely just grown, grown a lot stronger. Looking at what's happening in China right now, looking mm -hmm. at what's happening with the internet right now over the past, you know, four years. 
Um, and so that was really the moment where Anna and I, I think both, if I can speak for her, both basically said, oh, we have to work in this industry. Like there's just no uh, other industry we can work in. Like, so yeah, you, you kind of came to this conclusion, not because somebody like proselytized this to you or tried to preach like, oh, crypto this, like, oh, blockchain, kumbaya, whack me. It was like, no, you're in this general econ reading group and you were just thinking about, hey, what's the next world reserve currency? And well, that's, actually- that's the story I want to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more accurate story is I was hooking up with somebody in 2017 who's like, oh, my friends are making all this money on Bitcoin. I was like, oh, fuck, I can't miss out of that shit. <laughs> well, we're going to leave that story aside and we're going to stick with the Ray Dalio, you know. Uh, that, that well, so we'll stick with like the more proper buttoned yeah. up story. Yeah, the intellectual, <laughs> the intellectual. <laughs> we'll <laughs> say, we'll save that uh, for the, the next time you're on here. Mm-hmm. When Kit's on, Kit can ask you the question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so how did you go from having this aha moment, like we have to work in this industry. So did you go out, like start looking for jobs? Did you, when, when did you join Twitter? Like what was your next step from there? Yeah. So I just joined Twitter, right? Or I joined Twitter right after that, I think. This is in like March uh, 2021. So three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Yeah, I was still I was I was still running my, my previous company at that point, and so I wasn't necessarily looking to build a company. I just kind of wanted to experiment, um, and so I started getting involved in DAOs because um, that was the easiest way to start actually experimenting and playing with it. It was also DAOs were very close to the company I built before, which was a tutoring agency where we decentralized the agency to give people a lot more power, sovereignty, and earnings in order to take a smaller take rate, um, but then be able to grow organically without any operational overhead. And so DAOs, DAOs really like spoke to me, I think, in, in, as someone who had seen that thesis play out um, really successfully in my previous business. Um, and so I started getting into those and, and playing around with it. And then EcoDAO uh, was, a, was a DAO that I started um, to support the environment. Uh, and, you know, I was playing with all these things. And then Joke Race really came about, so if we had, you know, it, it's what, 2021 around February, March, that I kind of had this conversion with Annika. And Jan, you know, December that year is where I come up with, you know, the original idea for, um, for Joke Race, um, which is a game. <laughs> it's a proof of concept. And it's a game for people to tell really bad jokes. And the idea is if you tell really bad jokes, um, you, can, you can try to earn by um, getting second place. I mean, and, and really what I was, you know, thinking when I came up with this was like, we have built all these governance systems that are based entirely on voting. Um, but what if we also open this up for submission? Like what if there's another piece to this? Where another you dimension. Reward, yeah. Another dimension to reward people's creative contribution. Like we just take it for granted that from our own politics and democracy, that voting is the only way you have a say in anything because that's what we were taught. We're taught that the only way you have a say in anything is voting. And we, Right now, we have this whole discourse of, you know, which president you're going to vote for and your vote matters so much. And, you know, you have to vote for one of them because otherwise you're betraying the cause. And, it, you know, and my thought was, well, voting actually isn't really necessarily always that meaningful. Like maybe your ability to put forward your own voice and get other people to vote for it can, can also be meaningful. And so that was that was really the, the kind of basis, original basis for, for Joe Grace at that point was thinking, oh, you can create this governance framework by doing it as a contest by doing it as a contest where people are competing to submit and try to win and earn from that um and so you can actually gamify all of governance by turning it into this kind of contest platform and it's the sort of thing that just never could have existed in web 2 because it has to be built on financial rails um for 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 that to be possible so 
what are some really good examples of joke races that showcase like, hey, you can participate participate in governance, not just through voting, but through submission? Yeah. Like, what's a good example of a like the submission part? Yeah. So, um, for example, Polygon and Arbitrum DAO both using us for grants right now, and they're doing their grants processes. And so what's really cool is that, you know, we have this simple framework. You submit during a submission period, people can vote during the voting period, and then you can have a rewards pool and reward the winners. And that's really it. But you can design that however you want. You can design whoever you want to submit. You can design whoever you want to vote. And then, because it's all in chain, people can build on top of that. So you can have the data feed into any other on-chain service, right? Because anyone can read the data from these public smart contracts and then have that, and then have that, you know, serve what they're doing. So, you know, um, you can do contests like uh, a bunch of people have done ones with hats, which is a, a role-based NFT provider where you have an election and you say, who wants to be secretary in an organization, right? And people compete. And then if they win, you plug that contest into hats, you automatically get a role-based NFT that makes you secretary of that organization. Um, with, with Polygon Arbitrum, what, what, what's really cool is that they both did grants in totally different ways. Um, so Polygon did a one big event with like hundreds and hundreds of submissions, people coming in, leaving. And in some cases, some of the submissions had like 300 comments on them. Those are all on-chain transactions. Like those, that isn't 300 mm. on-chain transactions and people asking for clarification, trying to pump their bags, doing like, you know, all, all of these, you know, different activities, right? And then at the end of that, the winners were fed into a separate grant, the funding platform, Giveth, where people could go and they could choose to actually fund those. So Polygon is using this as a curation tool to say, oh, okay, okay, we're going to vote and pick which of these 10 are actually going to be the ones that get grants. And, and then you can go and, and, and fund them, right? And who is voting the Polygon token holders? I think so. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think I, um, I'm not totally sure how to design it, um, but I think it was a smaller team. I think it was like 300 core people. Um, okay, got it. I might, I might have that wrong. Arbitrum, totally different. They were like, no, we're going to use this completely for grants. And so with Arbitrum, you have every week a um, really precise prompt that's like, show how you are creating sustainability through DeFi using Arbitrum, right? Write, you know, the following, you know, responses. Um, and then they're giving away a ton of money. They're giving away about $20,000 a week to four projects. So each project is getting over $5,000 a week for just submitting, right? And they get that directly through us. There's no other platform that it feeds into. They create a rewards pool. You know, they say each of the top four ranks will get 25%. All on chain. All on chain, right? Um, and, you know, this is, this is really cool because, you know, we can both work with other grants platforms. We can also be a self-sustaining grant platform. Like that's the beauty of composability, right? Is like, if you want to use us all in one, you can, if there's things we don't do, you can just feed us into these other services and do them there. Um, and so like, that's just like a really narrow case, which is grants and even show that even within that use case, there's, there's a ton of diversity. And, and the reason I brought up the Arbitrum DAO one is like the Arbitrum DAO contests are getting like 10 submissions. They're not getting hundreds of submissions with hundreds of comments. And they're happy about that because their point is like, at the end of the day, only four people are going to get it anyway. So like, as long as the best four projects are competing in this, it doesn't matter who else competes, right? So if we make it really, really hard to compete in this and it's really precise and there's so much work that you have to do, that already is a vetting process where we're not looking to use this for marketing and virality, right? Um, yeah. And a contrast to that would be like, Mantle has used us for contests being like, write the best tweet about us. And people are going out and they're writing the best tweet and they're submitting them. Um, Arbitrum DAO itself did one that was like, uh, come up with a slogan for us. 
And then you have these like low hanging ones that just get massive virality. And we're doing like, one. <laughs> we're doing one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've noticed because my, you know, the Joker's uh, Twitter feed is just like all people sharing it because like, they're incentivized, right? Yeah, and yeah. so if you, if you want to optimize for virality and get as many people sharing it as possible and like you create incentives and you plug it into quests and then you tell people who the voters are and then they're going out to try to lobby the voters and like you can create this whole game of, you know, you add rewards to it, you even make people pay in. So it's like, man, I paid in, if I paid in $100 to this, I really want to win, right? So, like, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to, like, campaign and I'm going to, like, try to get as many people mm. to come support it. And because there's $10,000 I could win from this, you know? Like, like that is totally doable on that on one side, which is, like, massive traction, virality, get as many people involved as possible, turn into a big temple, um, kind of, like, Twitter event. And then on the other side, doing something, like, is just about very few submissions that are as high quality as possible. And all that, all that's doable. And like, that, and that's what I mean. That that's where it gets fun. Like, you can make it really easy for people to submit. You can make it really hard for people to submit. And there's benefits mm-hmm. to both of those. Yeah, the thing that I, the two things I notice about joke races: one, that it's unopinionated. You can make a contest about anything. And the second thing is how composable it is. If you want to do everything on joke race, you can do that. If you want to yep. combine it with Giveth or Galaxy, you can do that. And I yep. think the the last part, like that's what really makes Web three and crypto different than Web two. In Web two, you just want everything as a walled, walled garden. And Web three, you want that composability. And totally. instead of instead of uh, you know DeFi, it's like money Legos. Here, it's kind of like social Legos. I mean, my, my co founder, my co founder Sean, just refers to blockchains as like open APIs, and yeah. it's really all it is. It's like an, it's a permissionless API, is what a blockchain is. It's like anyone can draw on this, and it can feed anywhere, right? And where it gets really cool also is like the data. So it's like you can also now go in and you can see, okay, here's all here's our power users because everybody who got a vote, like that's because they contributed something of value. They came up with like a meaningful tweet, a meaningful essay, a meaningful contribution. And so you could have a point system to see who your power users are. You can then take those power users and you'd be like, let's learn about them. What wallets are they using? What are the DeFi protocols they're interacting with? Like now we have like customer segmentation we can do based off of this, you can see what their preferences are. They can take the data and be like, hey, I have a lot in common with this other person because we tend to vote on the same things. We should meet up, you know, we have like a shared preference. We've never voted on a winning option, but we clearly have, you know, some sort of like taste in common. Um, mm-hmm. And so just all these ways that you can start leveraging the on-chain data as well that you just could never do in Web2, right? Because you would have like that data was being siloed and it wasn't servicing anybody except the company that built it. And so I think like, that's really that's that's also a really exciting thing about it is just like like rehash used us, um, which does you know contests for who they want to appear on the podcast, and they found out that twenty percent of their users were Zerion users, and so they went to Zerion and they were like, "Can you sponsor us? Like we have the data here to show you know that uh, like Zerion yeah. is big, right?" And like they were able to do that, right? So there's a lot of a lot of cool cool ways to leverage the data. I think too that that gets really really fun about building on chain. Yeah, I feel like there's so much more to be discovered in leveraging data in that regard. Like we think of like what, what like Web two data all cool. siloed, but Web three data, you know, uh, well, well, how I think of it is with Web two data, it's really all about like numbers and mass and impressions. And with Web three data, it's more about the quality of each user. Like you can, you can know yeah. exactly what what the user's doing. What user, what for better or for worse right now, uh, exactly what the user's doing. You know how much they have in their wallet, like what protocols they're using, and all this stuff. Um, and so that's like really, it's really powerful, and it allows you know podcasts like Rehash and other projects that may not be like big in the traditional world, 
but they do have valuable users and they are yeah. able to get sponsors in that regard. I totally agree. Like creating localities of like a smaller communities with more valuable members is like both core to people using this, I think, but also like a function of using this because you find out who your power users are, right? Yeah. They're the ones who are getting the votes. They're the ones who are like contributing meaningfully. And you build on-chain reputation that way. And like the thing is, it's just also new because it's like the only transactions anyone was doing until the past six months were financial transactions um, for lots of money. Like the idea that you can now do transactions for half a set and like you can do social transactions and mm-hmm. then you can build up, you know, um, like, t- you know, taste graphs, right? Social graphs and like what people's tastes are based on how they're voting and who they're interacting with. Like all of this is totally a new paradigm. So it's not surprising that no one's taking advantage of the data from this because the data hasn't been that meaningful when, when transaction fees are really high. Like valuable data is like actually a very recent development within crypto that, that everyone I think is still kind of sitting on. I mean, where do you think this leads? Like, let's say the masses come onto crypto um, yeah. and, you know, everyone's doing half a cent social transactions. Like what kind of graphs can we see uh, from this? Do you think it would be like a lot? E- I think it would be a lot easier for smaller creators to actually like make a living for themselves with that data. I think, yeah, I think like imagine someone did a contest where they were like, here's a track. I want you to remix it. And um, you're going to remix this track. And then we're going to have a jury of like, you know, five people from the music industry vote on their favorites and the winner will mint it. We'll release it together. I'll share royalties with you. Like Fred again, basically did this off chain. Like Fred again, part of the reason Fred again became big was doing these kind of contests that were very interactive and like co-creating with his audience. Right. And so imagine you do something like that and it's like, okay, now everybody who's getting a vote from that jury, that's an on-chain attestation showing they're valuable. So even if you lost, you still have gotten like this really cool attestation. But, like, now imagine instead of it being a jury of five music industry experts, it's actually the community itself. It's, like, all the people who love Fred again or love this DJ are, like, all voting. Well, now it gets really interesting because you can start to see who you share a lot of interest with. Because maybe you voted for, like, the number 100th item on the list that no one else liked. And, like, you know, it's not a popular track. And it's not what everyone else – it's not the mainstream one that everyone else is listening to. But, like – you voted for it, and there's five other people who voted for it. Maybe you're all really passionate. You gave all your votes for that, right? Mm-hmm. That data is, like, really meaningful to be like, okay, these are these are my homies. Like, these are the people that I want to fuck with because, like, we share the same music taste. And, like, fuck that mainstream bullshit that won the contest. Like, what's valuable to oh, me okay. is being able to, to, you know, like, find other people who share my preferences. And so it's like, I, I, like, I can imagine someone, like, you could build a dating app, right? This is something I'd love to see where it's like, um, every, you know, every week, every day you do a contest, it's just a poll. It's just like putting out, you know, what are your preferences? What are your emotional preferences? You know, what are your romantic preferences? What are your literary preferences? What are your sexual preferences? You know, whatever it is. And like people are voting on this every day as a way to learn about themselves. And so they're participating in this and they're doing these contests and they're building up this data where at the end of every week, they get some summary that like gives them some insight about themselves. But it's like, you take all that data that's on chain and now you can start forming a dating app because you can see all the different people who have answered really similarly uh, and have complementary preferences. Right. Yeah. And so by doing this polls, right. I didn't come up with this idea. This is, this is a friend of mine. Um, like, but you can use that as a way to then have all of this data built out that you, then enables like a dating app to be built on top of that. Right? Cupid that's, 
when Cupid race. Yeah, Valentine's <laughs> Day, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm not. I'm definitely not finding my romantic partner. Uh, you know, in real life, I'm in fucking crypto. So like, I need. I need on chain. I'll data find it on chain. <laughs> and you're wait. You're gonna be on Love on Leverage this week, right? I am. Or are you already on it? Are, you're tonight. Tonight. Are you excited? I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. 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 I, I believe in, you know, love on chain is, is the only love for me at this point. So, <laughs> <laughs> just get it off chain. So, you know, yeah. gotta, it's gotta go somewhere. on chain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, what are your future plans with joke race? Uh, what's on your roadmap coming up? So right now we're very focused on monetization. Um, so really letting communities monetize. Um, so if you're a creator and you know, you want to like charge submission fees, it gets really exciting. It gets exciting for the reason I said before, which is once people have to pay a bigger submission fee, they're also going to market you a lot more, I think. Um, but you know, it also lets you make money or take that money and, and, and put it into future rewards as well. Right. So you can imagine like communities every week building up gradually where at the first, maybe the fees are very small. But as they start to earn more in submission fees, they create bigger rewards. That drives more people to pay more money for submission fees, which then gives more money for rewards. And so you, you can it's start a flywheel. to imagine, like, we like it's that a flywheel, here. right? Yeah. Like communities can start to be financially sustainable in a way that they were not on Reddit, they were not on Facebook, they were not in AOL chat rooms. Like the whole dream of the internet of like forming communities, but they actually can financially sustain themselves has never happened. And so, like, that's a lot of our focus, I think, is, like, just letting people monetize from this. Um, and so we put all money. fees. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so we're adding, we just added a vote fee, which we haven't announced yet, but it's it's live. Um, we have submission fees. And so we're, we're, you know, just trying to add all these ways where content creators can make money doing this. Um, and and that's really the media focus. I'd say reducing UX friction is just 90% of what I think about. Like, like UX and Web3 is very difficult. And so... Um, can go deep into the weeds on that one, but that's, that's this, an ongoing This actually task. leads to my next question really well, because, yeah. you know, I'm going to yeah. generalize, you know, chunk up a bit from Joke Race. Uh, you know, yeah. as a builder, you know, what do you see are the biggest blind spot for other builders and how can we fix that? Is it UI, UX? Is it something else? Great question. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of things, right? Like, <laughs> Who are we building for? I think is the first question. Because mm -hmm. who you're building for changes the nature of the question. Like it's been easiest for us to build for whales for a lot of reasons. Um, whales, first of all, have so much money at stake that they're willing to deal with terrible UX. Whales also tend to be very crypto native and deep, so they don't really they don't care about bad UX. They they care about tech and they'll go into a Linux terminal and handle it there if they need to. You know, um, that's fine. Like. Uh, they have all the money, and so they're willing to they're willing to incur the giant gas fees as well. Like, just every problem with UX has led us to build for whales, and it also makes sense. It's like starting with a luxury market where you only need a few users, but they are already fifty percent of your entire potential market financially. Is it makes a lot of sense, and so I think there's a lot of skepticism in this space about trying to do anything else. Like, even trying to go after anyone who's not a whale almost feels idiotic, right? Because it's like. Well, the whales have clearly always been the market. We've never found product market fit outside of that. UX is very fucked uh, and very difficult for mass users. Um, the few times that we've sort of gotten there with like Stefan or Axie, you know, or Terra, often it was a Ponzi. It imploded. It didn't last that long. Um, and also there's massive risk, just smart contract risk of like everybody's funds and like self-custody is sounds promising, but self-custody is like very, very dangerous thing, right? It's a big um, responsibility. 
it's a big responsibility. And, and like this goes, it goes all the way down where it's like, I've spent the past few weeks looking at embedded wallets. I love the embedded wallet providers. Can't say enough good things about, you know, everything that they're building, but like, it's very challenging. If you want to build interoperable reputation, everything I'm talking about, about these taste preferences, all of that, right? Like that would have to be from a wallet that you're using all across the board with these different applications. And the idea that like for a social wallet where you're voting in your favorite music should be the same wallet where you have a hundred thousand dollars of your life savings. Like, you know, that's, that's scary to most people um, for good reason. But how does your reputation accrue if you can't match those things? Right. Like, like these are, these are all kind of like in the weeds, I think issues. And I, I'll be honest, like, I think all, most of this comes down to key management. Like it's the most boring issue that nobody wants to talk about. Um, but key management, like like who actually is provisioning like these keys to serve the wallet and manage them? MPC, I think, is is very much like the solution here. Um, being able to decentralize key management, which is what Lit Protocol is working on right now, uh, I think is the most important issue. <laughs> wait, MPC? Wait, is MPC a protocol? M, 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 not N. Sorry, oh. sorry. So M, uh. MPC is, is multi-party computation. Oh. And the idea is that instead of you just having one key for yourself, which is your private keys, you now would have, let's say, three keys, right? And so one of them is from... It's almost like creating a multi-sig out of every action that you perform, but it's a programmatic multi-sig where the other keys are automatically provided with certain attestations, right? And mm -hmm. so the simplest version of that, which MPC nerds will tell you is not MPC, it's called SSS. SSS is where, um, which is used by a lot of the embedded wallets right now, um, is, is these shares are fairly fixed. But then with TSS, things like new MPC standards, thanks for asking all this, you can refresh the key. Um, and so the key can actually change and that makes it a lot safer. What we really need is to decentralize the keys, like, like being able to take these keys that can, can, can serve wallets and decentralize them. It sounds so boring. No one I know is but really talking about this. this is the foundation of all of but crypto. But this is what we fucking need. Yeah. This is the foundation of all of crypto. And it's the foundation of like what for me is the biggest issue, which is people are scared to use crypto and they're right. They're right to be scared to use crypto. Yeah. <laughs> I am scared every time I see an airdrop that I want to claim. And I'm like, how positive am I that this is the right page? Is this the I'm right on? link? Yeah. Is this the right link? Because if it's not, everything's gone. <laughs> right? And I'm deep in this shit. And I'm like scared. This happens so all the like, time. Yeah. yeah. This right. happens all the time. Right. Even more sophisticated social engineering attacks where people like call, I've heard stories of people calling, you know, up saying like, oh, your Coinbase account, this and that. And it's scary. Like, you know, think about the bot problem early on in, or like, you know, spam and bots and, you know, all everything on in the, or when the internet was really starting to get popular with consumers, there was a bunch of that, but somehow we like managed to get through it. And so, you know, I'm sure crypto will find its way through this current, you know, stage of bots and spam and, you know, dangers ahead. It's like, Wagner. I feel like I'm in a minefield. Wagner. Yeah, whack me. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. like, I you know how I describe crypto like right now, uh, especially a few years ago, but even a little yeah. bit more right now is like, it's like a minefield. And if you take like, like we're all beta users and you take like yeah. one wrong step in the minefield and boom, you're gone. Well, that, the irony of all that, right, is like, that's one less mind. We want mind to bring on the masses, <laughs> but we still well, have the minds. one less mind that exists. So it's this interesting thing that happens, which is every time there's a big hack, it like sends this message to everyone that crypto is totally not safe, but actually crypto is now safer. Like that one hack that has happened is a hack that will never happen again. Happen again. Like, yeah. you know, it's like that, whatever error is in that code, and now that is going to become part of the standard auditing playbook to like make sure that that's being checked for. And so it's like, we've seen this, like hacks happen a lot less frequently now and they happen at lower and lower levels of the code. 
they still happen, but like the mine, a lot of the mines have been cleared out by people stepping on them. Unfortunately, yeah, the beta. So, we're almost an alpha now. Like we are, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really like fallen soldiers of of, of this industry are like yeah. every, everyone who's like stepped on one of those, and it sucks. But it's like this is big. There's no way you can tell me like crypto is a lot safer now than it was a year ago, and it's a lot yeah, safer than it was a year before, and it'll be a lot safer now. It'll be a lot safer one year from now than it is now. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the key management you mentioned earlier, because, you know, I think I heard somewhere the other day that, you know, crypto like really has made, you know, uh, uh, cryptographic keys, like two way cryptographic keys, like actually just everyone just uses them and they don't even think about it. Like everyone's like a public key and private key. Like that wasn't commonplace before, but the fact that like crypto has made that. Pass keys, right? Pass keys are getting traction in web too. And those are, those are just private keys, right? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's huge for, you know, big W for cryptography right there. Totally. totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, getting back to like what it's like being a builder, like how, you know, I, we touched on this earlier in the interview, but, and you've had other startups before, like what are some of like the differences and similarities of building products in Web3 than in Web2? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's a bunch of differences, but composability for me is the biggest one. Like, I really think you win by working with as many people as possible. Um, whereas in Web2, you win by... Web2 is, is competitive and, and Web3 is collaborative. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, that that's a nicety and it's a humble. Like, there's a lot of competition within Web3. But like, fundamentally, when everything is composable, it's like, your mode is very thin, right? Like, building in Web3 is much, much harder than Web2 because the moats the modes are barely there. Um you can create a great protocol that your competitors will all start using and then they'll undermine you on the fees you're trying to charge on the front end. And we see this happening in DeFi right now, like quite a bit, where some of the leading players in DeFi are actually competing against themselves because their own protocols being used by their competitors, right? Like, like that's, that's the downside to composability and like not building in a siloed environment is like it, it gets so much harder to build those moats. But... I think the flip side of that is thinking, okay, well, how do you build in a way where you're working with as many people as possible and you're all plugging into each other? And like, how do you create like a guild structure where it's like the real winners will be the ones who join together because they're all supporting one another um, on a smart contract level. And it's like, they all are feeding into each other in these permissionless ways that makes it as abstracted way for users and like lets users interoperate across these different apps in these different platforms. And we haven't really seen that yet, right? That's also why crypto is not that compelling, I think, for, for users. Um, and I think a lot of founders, frankly, build with a kind of siloed mentality too. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, 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 I'd be curious because I'm, I'm very much on the consumer side building. You're very much on the DeFi side. Like whether or not that's your takeaway with Frax also, or you have a yeah, I, you know, there's, I listened to this interview with Olaf recently. Yeah. Um, he was on Unchained and I can't get this quote out of my head. It's, you know, building in, you know, web two, it's all about like silos and like creating your, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, creating like your own like walled garden and, every, yeah. you know, and like you want to have this closed mindset, but building in web three is not only like not that, it's the complete opposite of that. Like it's you want to build, it's the op, it's the complete 180. You want to build as open and as composable of a network and, and as a product as possible. So, because the more that it can be composable with, you know, other assets and other primitives in the ecosystem, like the more in value that it grows itself. 
Um, and you see this over and over and over again in Web3, whether it's like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Uniswap, like all the best protocols are like the ones where everyone just like starts plugging into and it becomes yeah. like literally a protocol itself. It just becomes like a set, like a set, like the, the standard for the industry. Um, yeah, with Frax in particular, you know, since the beginning, you know, the whole mantra and mindset of like Sam K and the Frax team have been, you know, positive sum. We're po- we want to be positive some, and we want to like grow and build this pie together with other DeFi protocols. And you're right. I think uh, there's like a good amount of DeFi protocols and builders that kind of have this like, oh, like we're going to like, you know, compete and like take most of the competitions. Like guys, like this, the, pie, the pie is really small, especially compared to TradFi. Like we had, we're much better off working together. And you, you oh, see, yeah. you've seen that in Fraxis history on how, yeah. you know, it's like operated in the whole curve ecosystem and just, you know, getting basically winning the curve wars, being the, the base pool and, um, you know, lowering the cost of capital for stable coins that wanting that want to have liquidity. Like you go to Frax and they'll hook you up and, you know, you guys can, and vote incentives, all that stuff together. But basically, yeah, positive some mindset. And that's how they're building Frax, though. That's how they're building their L2 with the same kind of mindset. Yeah. But instead of the incentives being at, the liquidity layer, the and you have to rethink of the incentives. Like, wait, it's at the infrastructure, it's at the chain level now. So it's a whole different kind kind of yeah. activity you want to incentivize. I, and I think like what's also interesting about this is how it changes your job as a founder, because like part of your job as a founder in Web three is to be social, like your ability <laughs> to just form connections, be out there, be public like and be visible um and just be talking with everybody in the space is how is how you're going to build that composability like in in a way that feels really different from web 2 like i think on web 2 like you wouldn't really build your company on twitter and like in web 3 like building your company on twitter is like very much a strategy yeah <laughs> like that's actually like a, it's a big part of company building in web 3 yeah it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating how social this industry is and how there's such extremes of like you're extremely online. And then when these conferences and events happen, you're extremely off. You're at these conferences. There's just yeah. not some events. You're going like offline. Da, 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 da. Uh, are you going to be at East Denver coming up? Oh, yeah, of course. I'll be oh, yeah. Denver. My job is yeah. to be social. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's so, so many So social events. that I'm willing to go to fucking Denver in February. That's, that's how social I'm willing to be. <laughs> hey, you know that East Denver used to be on Valentine's Day? Oh, my God. That's got yeah. to be incredible. <laughs> that makes so much sense. <laughs> I like, of course, they would put it on. Luckily, they made it, like, a little bit later. But still, yeah. everyone, yeah. like, it. <laughs> talk about, like, opposite yeah. things. Everyone in the ecosystem being like, thank God, I finally have something to spend Valentine's Day with. Yeah. <laughs> AKA me, that would be me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what are you m- most looking forward to at ETH Denver coming up? Oh, uh, I, I, I'm going to play the whole thing by ear, probably. Um, yeah, there's a too. bunch of cool stuff. There's, there's a bunch of restaking events. Obviously, narrative building for Eigenlay right now is just so huge, um, which I'm really excited by. Um, and I think it's just a game changer in, like, tons and tons of ways. So I think spending a lot of time with like the restaking side of the scene is definitely uh, part of my hope. Yep. Yeah, I was reading somewhere that like people confuse restaking with rehypothecation or like Correct. leverage, but it's actually not leverage. It's more like you're you're not re- rehypothecating the asset; you're rehypothecating the security. security. Like this, yeah. Yep. Which is, which is like yes, the terms the same, but it's actually different. Can for people we need, that maybe we need new terms, you know, we need new terms. Like, well, because yeah. you, you, you can't get margin called with 
you know, if you get slashed with, with Eigenlayer. And like that, that's the key thing is like the liquidity cascade that happens in DeFi where it's like, oh, if I've over leveraged this 100x, you know, because I've rehypothecated it and then I lose it, you know, well, then that price is going to go down and that's going to cause someone else who over leveraged by 100x to lose theirs, which will then cause someone else to over leverage. So, you, you know, you get this massive liquidity cascade. And like in, in a system where everyone's restakes their security, like you might lose your share. But that's not going to affect a price, which then lowers it and then it forces everyone else to lose their share, right? The only way that would happen is if, like, you control so much of the security and you have gotten slashed so much that now the entire pool is compromised. And with the kind of deposits that we're seeing in Eigenlayer, I don't think that that's a <laughs> legitimate risk here, um, personally. So, you know, there will be risky pools. There will be lost investments. There is real danger with the LRTs that they will be taking and doing investment strategies where they're investing in really risky shit. Um, but like, you know, the, the idea that you're facing liquidity cascades and like anything similar to that, it, it's just, yeah, it's not the case. And it, it's not like you're getting slashed, you know, your entire stake, like you're getting slashed for, you know, a particular share for, you know, yeah. a, a given event. Um, and also this is all deterrence against being malicious anyway. So People really shouldn't be getting slashed unless they're being malicious, you know, yeah. to that degree. Right. It's like, okay, this is already used for security. There's actually right. some room for it to be used for more security for different things, whether it could be securing a chain or even just doing like a specific function. Um, right. And so it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I remember uh, in January, December, January of last year, um, so a year ago, I went really deep into Eigenlayer. Uh, we had Shiram on the show, and I was like, yeah. I was like in layer pilled then, and yeah. uh, that at that time everyone was like all about LSTs, and now the everyone's all about L2s and LRTs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. and then we're gonna see another cycle probably where people get really excited by L1s in another six L1s months again. Too. Yeah, so, yeah. The all, all ones I think will come back. Aggregation so, yeah. layers, <laughs> like I, I mean, honestly, what Polygon yeah. is doing is is amazing. Uh, yeah. No, you know, Poly Polygon. Uh, I guess like because it's even known as the corporate brand and whatever, it's not hip these days. But like, sorry, what they Polygon were, is doing is fucking awesome. No, they, <laughs> they. I mean, yeah, they may cor be corporate, but they're doing a lot. They contributed a ton to zk research. So uh, much. Yeah, yeah David um, and and yeah. Jack. Shout out to David and Jack, friends of the show. We've had a Jack Dave on Dow. a few times. Dave, any Dow. Dave, oh, any Dave we support yeah. on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> the, you know, they've been doing a lot over over at polygon and you know they've been they're really good at just go, just kind of absorbing things in and also just like following the trend like not following trends but actually like creating trends and like oh they saw zk evm becoming a thing like oh now they're seeing this aggregation layer like eventually becoming a thing yeah and uh, yeah yeah when when 100 percent on all of this um they're just i mean paralyzable evm they were paralyzable, also yeah. Yeah, like that was so much stuff. On, like well over a year ago, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, Aglayer is really cool. CDK is really cool. Uh, like the CDK is like a way for anybody to have a ZK roll up um, with you know validity proofs. Like this is sick. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I don't know. Do I'm, a huge, if, I'm a huge fan of Polygon. <laughs> so with it becoming easier and easier to deploy a roll up, are you? Do you believe that there's going to be a world of thousands of roll ups? Yes and no. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good question. So my take on it is, like, um, if you have a very undifferentiated roll-up from any other, um, it's very challenging, right? Like, it's very easy for anyone to launch a roll-up now, just like it was easy for anyone to launch a token a few years ago. But, like, the, the same thing, you know, this is content creation. Like, 
we can go even further back in creating tokens. You can go to like YouTube. It's like 99% of content that's created and stored, uploaded to YouTube is never seen, right? Nobody watches it um, because it's not differentiated. It's not interesting. And like YouTube's whole game is like they have to support that 99% of creation and store it and pay the cost for that for the 1% that is actually interesting to people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of similar. It's like most rollups will be undifferentiated. And like we're already seeing this. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of great improvements coming to be able to do cross-chain swaps and cross-chain payments. But like liquidity is still a bridge if a diminish or a moat, if a diminishing one. And it's, you know, it's hard to launch a chain and get people to bridge over and start using, you know, providing liquidity and using it if you aren't differentiated. And so I think a lot of the services right now, which are really based on like anyone can launch a chain with these same services, um, it's, it's a little bit quixotic to think that those are all just going to take off. And those are, you know, that the world of like tons and tons of rollups that all look the same is going to take off. With that said, um, while there is definitely room to play with the technical side, especially for gaming, I think like games will want to have their own rollups where with their own technical implementation, they can do, and then you can, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with on the technical side with like rollups. Like you can do freemium payments. Like we've subsidized gas fees for these users who have been allowed to use the chain. Um, you know, you can change block size and finality and like, you know, you can take more risks in order to let people like interact faster. Like th there's lots of cool stuff you can do there, but I really think like actually the game is tokenomics and brand and ideology. Like mm, let's how, break that down. How, all three tokenomics, brand and ideology. Like how you're funding people. Um, you know, like look at optimism. It's like, if we're being honest here, like is optimism technically the best chain? it's fine it's great like it's a, it's a little expensive it works well it, it's good um hopefully they'll have fraud proofs but like values wise like optimism has killed it because they have this values of like retroactive public goods and they fund a lot of people and like that gets people excited by using the chain because like they want to participate in the system that not only can get them money on a mercenary level but is doing so in a values aligned way right and so like values i think is actually a really big proposition um that that, that could really take off and tokenomics. It's like being able like what Barachain is doing. Barachain is great tech, but like what's really, really cool about Barachain, right. Is that they, and they're not an L2, they're not one, but like is, is the tokenomics that they have in place because like now you're providing whole new incentive structures in place to be able to gain power over time, the longer that you've been in that ecosystem. And so they're driving new incentives for people to hold and to continue getting emissions and then to gain power and then play these games um, within that ecosystem too. And there's just so much you can play with in terms of like uh, incentives for people to provide liquidity, incentives for people to stake, incentives for people to vote, incentives for people to play games, incentives for people to build apps. And it's like all of this can be designed within your tokenomics in ways that we just haven't experimented with because all the focus has been on like fixing the tech and making the tech yeah. like even minorly scalable, right? So like that's, yeah. that's where I, I do think we're going to see a lot of great rollups. But I'd actually be surprised if the innovation that we're seeing with them is on the tech level. I think that'll right. happen to some degree. I think it's mostly going to happen. Are you on, familiar um, with the uh, fractal points? How the fractal point system is? Not too well. It's, show me. Show me a way. Uh, you're gonna love it. Um, yeah. Imagine if there was Google PageRank, but for yeah. smart contracts and users that actually rewards users based and smart contracts based on how much value they're bringing to a chain. Um, yeah. And so basically how fractal points wor work um, is there's something called the flux mechanism and the flux mechanism. There's like three 
different variables that go into it. It's basically use of smart contracts, like how much the smart contract being used, uh, the VE boost. So let's say if you have FXS, and also um, you know asset, how much how much of us assets you have. So if you're holding like Frax, if you're holding Frax ETH or like any of the Frax assets, that goes into the calculation, and that is uh, you know that's calculated. Uh, once a week and then every week you're rewarded points so in this system this actually you know incentivizes you to use like the if i'm a builder i want to actually build contracts that people use and if i'm a user i want to use contracts that are like are being used a lot and so imagine Water. if yeah, yeah so imagine if uniswap like let's say if uniswap you know first deployed on like arbitrum for example's sake and like everyone just like goes to Uniswap because it's like the standard, it's the most used contract. And Arbitrum had a point system. Like it would just be rewarded like points, like every week, every week, every week, every yeah. week. And then eventually those points return to something redeemed more liquid. And this is the first system I believe that actually rewards users and smart contracts on this like kind of pro rata basis. And what's the second order effect of this is that if I'm if I'm like a builder, I'm looking to deploy to a chain and I'm looking to airdrop to users. Well, not only can I just airdrop to v, like FXS stakers, that's great, but I can I know who the power users are from the points. That's, that's <laughs> okay. So that's the really cool fucking thing about points that everyone is sitting on is that developing points isn't even just developing points for the protocol that is using them. It's developing points for your entire reputation or any future protocol that comes along. Exactly. And so, two examples. Like one is us. Like with Joke Race, it's like if you if people voted for you in a meaningful contest, that shows that you're valuable to that community. And so, like, if Polygon is running a bunch of contests or Optimism is running a bunch of contests or Prax is running a bunch of contests and people are continually winning these because they're giving great submissions of memes and ideas and feature requests, you know, et cetera. Like, you know those are valuable people. Like, even someone who never won a single one came in 10th place every week, but they overall got more votes than anyone else, that's your most valuable builder, right? That's your most valuable contributor. And that points is meaningful. But, but the key thing is, like, even if Frax never airdropped anything to that person, anyone can look and be like, oh, wow, they're really great. I want them on my team, right? And I think, like, where, where this gets really kind of wild is Eigenlayer because it's, like, with Eigenlayer, you get this really kind of crazy flywheel where it's, like, people will restake their ETH in anticipation of an airdrop. So they will, you know, start restaking on all of these other protocols, being like, protocol's probably going to airdrop to the people who restake ETH on it because we're the ones who provided security, Right. And the more that they're restaking in Eigenlayer, the more security, you know, is restake ETH is there, the more that's going to draw protocols to come in and say, okay, we should build there because this is an environment, right, where instead of having to spend years raising tons of money to deploy, we can deploy now. And, like, yeah, exactly. we can get users who are incentivized because they think they're going to airdrop from us. And so they're all going to restake their ETH and get excited too. And it's like, then... Once they're building there, that's going to draw more users to want to restake their ETH, which is going to drive more protocols, which will draw more users, right? All this kind of airdrop cycle. But, like, the, the key thing there is, like, maybe some of those won't ever give an airdrop. Maybe they won't bother, right? And in that case, you can still see, okay, who are the people who have provided value? Like, who are the people who are out there willing to take these risks, willing to support? Like, mm -hmm. maybe they supported some other protocol instead of us but we want to vampire attack them. So we're going to go that, that our competitor never airdropped them. Fuck them. We'll airdrop them instead. <laughs> you can get yeah. all of these really, really wild systems in place. Right. Um, you know, mm -hmm. sushi swap is like the kind of first ones that saw this, I think, but like, it gets really exciting to think like, yeah, this is, this is data for anybody to use. 
Yeah, it, and it's all really exciting. Yeah, Sushi Shop was the first, and I probably like the most successful. Like, think about it. They scared Uniswap so much, they like forced Uniswap to drop a token. Like, that, yeah, that's yeah. like Which, pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't think wild. I don't know if they would have. Do you think Uniswap would have ever dropped a token if Sushi Swap never came along? I mean, has Uniswap ever given utility to that? Token? I, no, there you go. That answers the question. Uh, I have a question. So they have a little bit. Yeah, I think yeah, what yeah. what's like great about like points. And um, and especially the fractal system is like anybody can like go and stake, but yeah, what points do is like it actually judges like the other actions you're doing on chain. And I feel like yeah, there's agreed. like a lot of other. I'm maybe I'm not familiar with like other ecosystems. Like people just like go and they stake. Like for example, if they stake like Tia or like Dimension, yeah. um, like. And they're just like, yes, I'm just going to stake it. I'm going to do nothing. And I'm just going to get airdrops. I'm going to dump them. Right. Like, yeah. I don't see how that system is, you know, sustainable long-term. And Agreed. wasn't there something with Cosmos and Adam? Some like people had this like Adam piece, like, oh, I'm going to buy and like stake Adam, get all the Adam airdrops. And like, it seems, is that, is that like replaying again? Am I, I just like not informed? I think data, I like mean, what Celestia's doing with data availability is like phenomenal. There's a reason why like they're actually like, getting customers. But like, I'm more talking about the tokenomics. And it's like just like a bunch of random people just stake and they just expect nothing, expect something and do nothing. Like, I, is that? I really don't understand why we airdrop to airdrop farmers. Like, yeah, um, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, like, like, why should airdrop farmers get airdrops? Like, like those are the people who want, are there to dump you. <laughs> like, those are the people yeah. who, you know, like they literally just want to take the money and move on to the next project. Like, why would you want to? Why would you want to put your protocol in their hands, right? And it's like, and so the two questions for me, I think there's, there's two pieces. And one is what I've been talking about over and over again, which is like reputational value of like, who's actually meaningful to you? Like, like who's someone who actually provided value to you that is non-fungible and meaningful and like you want, they get the protocol and they spent time and they've actually like marketed you and supported you in a way that is like more qualitative, but also more meaningful, right? Um, I think like that's one piece. The other piece is retention. It's like, can you also use point systems retention. as an incentive mechanism yep. Yep. to get people to do the actions you want? So part of the reason that we're airdropping the airdrop farmers is because everyone knows that they're doing it, but they still want to incentivize people to stake. So it's like, that's, you know, it's still worth it to us to airdrop the airdrop farmers because even though they're not here for the right reasons, even though they're going to dump us, we still need people to stake. And so we're going to incentivize that. But it's like, is that really the thing that you want to be incentivizing most? Doesn't that matter that much in a world of restaking? You know, it's like, what can we incentivize instead? And what I'd really like to see is like more points being used to incentivize retention behavior. So I think some of the stuff you're discussing with Frax is like really good at that. But I'd like to see multipliers. It's like the more actions yeah. you perform, the bigger the multiplier gets on the points that you're getting. So yeah. it's like maybe you're barely getting points until you performed a thousand actions. But at that point, then it starts to go up dramatically, you know, that's stuff a, like that. That's a really yeah. good one. Perform a thousand actions on chain. I mean, there's so many that the design space for it and the incentive space for it is, you know, basically unlimited. Uh, before we go here, I want I had to like ask you this question. Uh, you know, yeah. what are your thoughts on Frax? I mean, fucking love Frax, but like, okay. So my question for Frax is like, um, Frax is getting like Polygon these days. It's like, it's a wide web, right? We got the bonds, we got Fraxel. Like, like what's, what's your vision for Frax in terms of thinking about algorithmic stable coins? <laughs> I would, it's not an, well, it's, 
I know it's not. It's, That's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I just did an interview this week uh, with yeah. with Block Bites, and yeah. I had like a like the talk, you know the Tucker Carlson like Vladimir yeah. Putin interview yeah. when he asked like oh let's talk about like Ukraine. He's like let me give you like the whole history of Russia before we get to that. <laughs> yeah. I had the same thing. They're like let's talk about Fraxel. I'm like let me give you the whole history of Frax before we get yeah. to Fraxel. Uh, and so I'm not going to do that now. But the vision <laughs> for. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll let you watch yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the vision for Frax is to be, you know, the issuer of the most important assets in the 21st century and have yeah. the sub protocols and infrastructure to support them. So what are the most important assets of the 21st century? Right now you have like the dollar, you know, it's yeah. ubiquitous everywhere. You have ETH. Um, there's going to be Frax BTC. Uh, they have yeah. their own CPI peg stablecoin. And so whatever, you know, asset actually has like, wide use and like it has like a network effect they want to like be the m2 issuer on top of that um and like building the and infrastructure yeah so let's go to the other part of the question which is like how algorithmic is this versus like how collateralized is this oh no it's all it's fully like, collateralized everything's 100 collateralized You're yeah like it's yeah. fully collateralized it's fractional you know in this well i mean we can like, get into it in the sense how it's fractional yeah. but like it's always redeemable for like one of one like for example like frax is going up to be a hundred is like it's on track to hit a hundred percent collateral ratio uh that was voted on last year and yeah. like that you know we, we've done the experiment like like yeah. uh you know last cycle it's like all right we got to go up to 100 percent collateral ratio and we're getting there um you know eth is like 100 percent all fraxy is 100 percent collateralized you can actually go redeem yeah. eth like you can wait like 14 days redeem it or like go in the curve pool and do it yeah um I can get into like a really like deep discussion about it, but yeah, most important ask, you know, issue our 21st century assets, you know, and then I like to think of Fraxtal as like their AWS play. And it's like, okay, like if we're going to like have like the app layer, you know, well, how Amazon, like they were just sort of as a store that sold books online store like yeah. that. And then they were like, Hey, they saw the huge opportunity with server space. So like, Hey, we have to like, this makes sense. We're going to go in with it. This is like the same kind of thinking with a uh, Fraxtal and to make Frax. Sure. So with, with the dollar, of course, there isn't a digital dollar. So using Frax makes sense. For ETH, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's no native uh, liquid staking token. So like being able uh, to stake it like use, right? Frax oh, there's Frax, well, there's, well, there's Frax ETH and S Frax ETH. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. It's like ETH doesn't have its own. So it's like it makes sense that you would use Frax yeah. instead. What's, what's the case for like other future tokens that come along and maybe have like already provided they're already digital and they already provide yeah. you know i like mean possible ones in the, the frax version yeah yeah possible yeah you know with with that you have to figure out like okay like where does like the risk-free yield come from and uh, yeah. and so it's like okay with eat that's easy that's a beacon chain yield but you know maybe in the future mm. there's like a frax soul or like a frax tia like frx soul frx tia and it's like, oh, like the soul, it comes from, there's, you already see it on soul. You see like wraps, you see these, um, yep. I think it's Jittle soul and like other ones. Um, and so like there, there's a possibility there in the future, but it just has to like get big enough. And like the most important assets of the 21st century. Um, well, I, I think it's yeah. cool because it's, it's kind of what Polygon's doing with ag layer on like an yeah. infra level is what you're doing on a token level. Yeah. It's like you're creating like a single aggregated place to, you know, uh, access all this liquidity from different chains, um, from different yep. projects, right? All in one place. And so like just as a UX improvement alone, like like the ability to access all of the, all of the 
it's like Tower of Babel. It's like there's going to yeah. be all of these chains with all their own tokens, and like if you can access that in one place with one universal kind of standard mm-hmm. and build points from that and build a reputation off of that, like there's massive incentive to just use the Frax version of all these things. If if it's also creating you a lot of like reputational value that can be leveraged, I think in a lot of ways too. Yeah, it's pretty I, pretty cool to think about. Yeah, yeah, like the possibilities are really endless. Uh, in, it's pretty cool. It's been, yeah. and it's been you know crazy to see the journey for over the past few years, and you know especially like with Fraxtal, it's right now in a guarded launch. It'll be launched soon, uh, fully to the public. You want to get your FXS staked by March six, uh, for like the first points drop. The snapshot's taken there. And then, like, the first point drop would be March 13th. Like, I'm literally screaming it from the rooftops because, you know, I'm positive some. I want everyone to win. I want everyone to, like, take part in the success of Frax because we're all in this together. But, um, yeah, so that's that's it for the interview. But before we go, we always do, like, a quick lightning round. Um, So, like, three questions real quick. Um, Okay. When was the first time uh, you touched a chain and sex doesn't count? Uh, 2017. 2017. What'd you do? Uh, bought. Um, well, I guess right. If I bought a Coinbase, is that touching? No, touch that, you, chain, that's that's you're having sex. No sex. You have to oh, be an incel on chain. Sorry. Oh fuck. Okay. Okay. Whoa. Wait. Okay. So I, I'm touching the chain. Meaning you're touching like, the chain. What? You're doing like a mm-hmm. transaction. Like you're using DeFi or like you're sending Bitcoin or doing something i did i did send bitcoin yeah in 2017 so okay i think yeah i think we can count that i got ledger yeah i did some shit with that okay yeah, it that's, was, but that's like first base though you know that's not first, like, first base. yeah yeah, yeah, ledger, 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 first base. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um okay that's just kiss territory yeah yeah <laughs> uh next question would be um if you weren't in crypto and you weren't in startups what would you be doing as your career Writing screenplays. Writing screenplays. Okay, yeah. nice. And last question: Who would you recommend as a guest? Who do you want to see on Flywheel next? Uh, Cami. Uh, you gotta get Cami Ramos on. Cami Ramos. Yeah, Cami uh, Devrel Extraordinaire, uh, formerly at Fuel in the Graph, um, uh, co-founder of well, I think Women in Web Three, bunch of bunch oh, of. Oh, cool. Okay. Cool. Uh, and like just that. the most brilliant and colorful and smartest person uh, that you'll meet. Um, huge fucking fan of Cami. Cami. All right. Cool. That's yeah. good. Yeah. I really Every like podcast needs Cami. Yeah. Every podcast needs Cami. Okay. The Cami sh- show is real. Uh, yeah. David, Cammy thanks for, uh, so much for coming on. Where can people find you and Joe Grace? Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at divine underscore economy. Um, joke race is joke race.io and our Twitter shockingly is joke race underscore IO <laughs> underscore IO. Uh, David, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we hope to see you soon. Thanks dude. Thanks. Long live day down. Long live day down. Full circle. See ya. All right. We just wrapped up an episode with Mr. David Phelps at divine economy on Twitter. Uh, going all into about on-chain reputation in the world on-chain. And I think what people can get out of this the most is like blockchain is more than just DeFi. Blockchain is more than just like crypto as we know it. And I think there's like a lot of, and there's a lot of ways that this stuff is going to evolve. And the more that you build in an open manner and in a composable manner, um, 
that's how you're going to grow. It's kind of the exact opposite thinking of the Web2 world and these closed systems. And like I said in the interview, that's what Olaf talks about. So, Kit, I know. <laughs> what are your thoughts yeah. on this one? <laughs> I mean, I am uh, sorry to say that I am a listener in this one. So I'm hey, why don't you explain to, to the class why in. you couldn't make it? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Go explain to the class why you couldn't make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyways, I... I feel like for these on-chain quest stuff, it is a very, how do I say this? Segmentation in Web2 is extremely difficult to do because like it's always gated behind, you know, whether with Facebook ad network or Google's ad mob, like they have all the demographic data. But now once everything is on-chain and you could build this profile of a user, segmentation and targeting becomes extremely open and accessible by all which greatly reduces the cost to reach the right user for the right yeah. product. So I think this is- You can get you know, a lot better data because it's on chain. You can like say like, yep. oh, you can see exactly what this person's doing. So it's, it's going to be like- unlock. Yeah. Just think about email. Like think about all the- like, uh, Email's a good compare. I'm reading like read, write, own right now. And like email's a great comparison mm-hmm. because like you have your email inbox and like mm-hmm, you can- mm-hmm. You get so much better engagement when you do, you know, just- that's why you see Substack and all these subscriber lists like pop off and they're valuable because you're, you're direct to the email inbox. Whereas if you're on like Twitter and YouTube, you have this like thing, this giant monolith in the middle that's taking all the data and like deciding mm-hmm. who rises and who falls. Meanwhile, with like email, like it's like, it's up to you. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be a really cool future ahead. Uh, and shout out David Phelps for helping us bring, bring us there. So, but uh, if you want to keep up with the future now, you know what to do. Hit that bell button. Subscribe right now on YouTube. Go, 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 go do it right now. Uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Follow us on all our socials at FlywheelDeFi on Twitter, TikTok, and Telegram. Make sure you hit us up on Farcaster as well at Flywheel. Uh, subscribe to our website, FlywheelDeFi.com. You know, I just said it. It, it makes a difference. You're going to get way better quality information if you do that. Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter at DeFi Dave on Farcaster at DeFi Dave. Um, DeFi Dave twenty two on Twitter. There we go. And you can follow me at zero x capital underscore k. Well, we'll see. With all our love, we'll see you next week. Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets, or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.